All right, good morning, church. Take out your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And I'm also going to read from Ephesians 1. So turn over there too and just kind of hold it with your finger for just a second. I'll read from John 3 and Ephesians chapter uh, 1. And if you are in our plan for the fast during Lent, uh, you know that up to this point for the last 10 days, we have been um, completely uh, avoiding social media platforms of all sorts. And I know for some of us, we didn't even realize that we were fasting it. Others of us have been groveling in the dirt, wondering how we're going to make it, okay? Uh, how, uh, so just know today you get a break, right? And then um, also if you're following along, if you haven't followed along, you can always join in and you can just click on that right there. It'll take you to our, uh, hopefully you're doing the devotional, um, Life by the Spirit. I'm doing that daily. I'm with you in that. I'm praying accordingly. And uh, also today we break, but tom- uh, tomorrow we begin um, a fasting of all entertainment, so, mm, all right, movies, streaming, some of y'all, the news, you know what I mean? Uh, what do you lean to to sort of be that out uh, and enjoyment? Uh, and for the next two weeks, uh, for the next 14 days, uh, we'll totally cut that off. And you can just add the social media to that or just do all entertainment because social media in many ways is entertainment. I get that. Um, But that's where we are in this, so hopefully you're following along and um, enjoying that. Uh, So hopefully you'll keep keep going with us on that. Uh, Today we enter into another type of emphasis when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Up to this point in the first couple of weeks in the series, we've been talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the structural doctrine, biblical teaching of the Holy Spirit. And so sort of uh, looking at the biblical teaching Today, I want to emphasize something a little different. What Now that we've sort of looked as an overview of what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, now I want to ask the question, how do we experience Him? He is alive and well today. He is in our midst. How do we experience the Holy Spirit? How do we walk with the Holy Spirit? How do we enter into what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, but doing it in an experiential way right now, right here in our time. Uh, and that's what we want to begin today. And if, you, if, you, if you're going to ever start asking that question and beginning to enter into that, you have to start with today's subject in John chapter 3. And so we're, we're looking at that. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. And we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 8. And then I'm going to read Ephesians 1. 13 to 14. So just read along with me and let's look at this very beginning principle. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, submit ourselves to you right now, and we want to hear from your word and uh, your voice through your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we just pray you take charge of this moment, that you would make your word alive, make it a word alive to us, help us to hear and have hearts that understand and follow after you. And so work in us as we meditate upon these things. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So yesterday I woke up and I I thought to myself, today is the day. I'm going to do it. And that is clean the garage. And uh, our garage has been a little bit of a mess. The winter and the power being out, we realized we have a uh, vermin problem. And somehow the vermin got hold of some bait and the vermin was no more. But we could smell it for sure. And so the garage was uh, the remnant for Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? The dust and the leaves from the fall, uh, all these things kind of crowded in. It has become an abandoned, neglected mess. And I said, I'm going in. All right? I am going in. And so I put my headphones on and listened to my music. I said, I'm going to do this. It took me all day. But I had to empty the whole garage of everything, and I put it in organized piles. You know how you're supposed to do, right? And then one of the piles I made was a pile to Goodwill, and I set it on the yard over by my car, and it was a gigantic pile by the end of the day, all right? And uh, so I'm working through it. I clean everything out. I put everything back in. The only thing I have left is that Goodwill pile. And I think to myself, oh, no, Goodwill's closed because I've waited too late in the day. And so I panicked, and I thought I might, I might have a few minutes. And so, and it was a ton of stuff, and I didn't want to leave it in the yard because the neighbors would not be happy. So I went over there, and I opened up my back of my Pathfinder, the hatch, and I crammed everything in the back of the Pathfinder, and I just packed it all in really fast, just threw it in there, because I'm going to go just dump it at Goodwill. Goodwill's about two miles away. And I hit the little automatic door button, you know, to, to make it shut, and I've got my headphones still on, not thinking. And, I, and I, so I hit the button, it starts to close, I run around, I get in the car, and I start backing out of the driveway. What I, don't real, what I didn't realize is the hatch came down, but stuff was in there too tight, and it hit the thing. And it doesn't just stop, right? It goes back up, right? Y'all have had this happen? Well, I didn't hear it go back up. So I pull out of the driveway, and there's a hill. you got to go way up this giant hill. Uh, you got to go up this hill on the way to Goodwill. See, y'all are feeling it, all right? Y'all are laughing. Okay, y'all are getting this. Uh, Beautiful didn't get it. They just looked at me like a deer, staring, uh, a cow looking at a new gate the whole time. So I was like, but I, I started going up the hill. I thought, and my Pathfinder doesn't make it up that hill really great. It struggles. And so I have to really gun it, you know, to get up that hill. And uh, so I go up the hill, and I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm going to make it to Goodwill on time and get all this stuff dropped off. And I get to the top of the hill, and I, do, and I, I notice a glimmer in my 
something happening in my rearview mirror. And uh, what, what I see is a car flashing their lights at me. And I'm thinking, well, somebody's got a real problem back there, you know. And, uh, but then I noticed that my window is really, really clear. And uh, I needed a car wash. And I remember it being a lot f- more foggy than that. And then all of a sudden, boom, it hit me. I became aware of a reality that I was totally oblivious to before. I became aware of things that I have been doing that perhaps have led to lots of destruction. I suddenly was aware of things that I was completely unaware of before. And needless to say, in that very moment, I had an awakening, an awakening. Would you know, I pull over to the side, I realize the hatch is up, I walk back there, not an item lost. It, it was so packed in there badly that it didn't go anywhere. So uh, thank you, thank you, Lord. But I did have an awakening in a moment. Um, I'm sure you've had some like that. Jesus is talking to a religious leader here, and Jesus is talking about someone who enters into the kingdom is someone who has an awakening that happens in them. They are awakened to things that before they were oblivious to. And it has deep, profound effects in them. And he's talking to Nicodemus and he uses this term of this awakening or entering into the kingdom. There are a lot of ways that actually Jesus talked about this particular moment in a person's life. But in this place, he's talking to Nicodemus and he uses the term born again. It's, it's kind of the, the only place he uses that particular term. Um, and he uses new life. We use all kind, of spirit, all kind of other descriptions to describe it. But here with Nicodemus, he uses this term born again. Nicodemus is uh, a ruler, a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He is highly respected. He came to Jesus at night to have this conversation. He didn't want to have a public ordeal. He just wanted to get to know Jesus and listen and hear him out privately. And Nicodemus displayed a reverence for Jesus that the other Pharisees didn't. Uh, He acknowledged that, hey, you know, what I don't understand, I don't understand. But what I do understand is no one could do this if if you weren't with God or if God wasn't with him and affirming him and giving him that affirmation of ministry. And in John 7 later, actually after this, um, Nicodemus is among the Pharisees and he argues for Jesus. He actually says to the other Pharisees, he says, um, are we going to judge someone? Doesn't the law say that we ought to give him a hearing first? And they begin to accuse him of being a follower of Christ or being from his hometown. He says, who are you? Are you from his hometown or something? Like guard, like trying to protect him. Uh, and so Nicodemus showed these signs of, of not just joining the crowds of Pharisees. And then in John 19, after the death of Jesus, um, the, the, the body of Jesus was taken by Joseph of Arimathea to be buried properly. And guess who was with him? Nicodemus buried the body of Jesus. And in Acts 16, it says that there were believers um, who were part of the group of the Pharisees. There was a group of Pharisees that had actually become Christians and followed Christ. Not all of them uh, were um, evil and sons of Satan, apparently. Some of them trusted Jesus Christ as Lord, and they were part of that. And I believe Nicodemus was in that group along with Paul. There were others as well. So what we see here is this conversation did not end here. 
Um, But in this conversation, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Spirit in bringing a person across the line from outside the kingdom to in the kingdom. He says that you can't see the kingdom, but what that meant, and he said it later, was entering into the kingdom. In other words, you can't see it. You can't get there and experience it to see it. You can't get in unless you are born again. And it's something the Spirit does who brings us across the line to give us this experience of being born again. And he says, he compared the working of the Holy Spirit to be like the wind. He says, don't be shocked by this. You know the wind. Think about the wind. It comes, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. All you know is what it's doing in the moment. And, and I take three things from this. First is, I think he's pointing to the fact that the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. You don't know where it comes from, he says. It's like the wind. Uh, You can't predict when it's going to hit and how and all of these sorts of things. And so the born-again experience is a mystery. It appears to come out of left field. It appears to just appear. Um, It appears to just show up. And In other words, people can look at someone who's had a born-again experience by the Holy Spirit and go, wow, that's interesting. That was out of left field. It seems like a surprise to people. But then next, I think it means that the Holy Spirit is uncontrollable. Just like you can't control the weather, you can't control the Holy Spirit. You can't sort of harness the work of the Holy Spirit and reproduce him as you want to, like water or a natural resource. It's, it's uncontrollable. Uh, and so you can't make it uh, happen. Only he, according to his sovereign will, works as he wills, and no one, none of us can sort of make him do anything or force him into anything. He works according to his own sovereign will. And although he is relatable to us, let me make sure I'm clarifying, he is a relatable being and relates to us. Um, he's not like water, Lord, a natural resource that we can control, right? He's, uh, we can't control him. And then lastly, undeniable. Jesus said, you do see his effects. You know when he lands. When he lands on a person, like you can see the effects in this person's life that the Spirit has done a work here. And and Jesus says, you can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. You can look outside the window at work, and you can see the trees almost bending over. And you can go, whoa, a storm, a wind has come, and something's happening. But you wouldn't see it otherwise. If you were uh, somewhere else, you wouldn't see anything happening. You wouldn't know it's there. But you can see its effects. If you see its effects, then you go, oh, okay, something must be happening. The wind must be blowing. And, and, and basically what that means is that a, a person who's born again manifests attributes in their life that are supernatural, that, that people around them would look to them and say, something has happened and they're different in ways that aren't natural or normal. This is, this is extraordinary what's happening in this person's life. And when the Holy Spirit moves... His movement in their life is undeniable, that you see it, you see it clearly. And even people who don't know the Lord would look and at least see its effect, his effect in their life and say, something happened because everybody can see something happened to this person. Uh, This is his point. And the main point of Jesus' argument to Nicodemus is that Christianity... 101 starting line is something that happens to us and in us first. 
first. This is the beginning point. You want to experience the Holy Spirit? You want to experience His reality? Well, then this is where it all starts. This experience of being born again. The Pharisees would have thought about righteousness and being in right standing with God as a person having all the right scaffolding built in their life, if you will. You're born into the right family. You, you did the right things growing up. You observed the commands of God. Uh, you were a student of the word. And you've displayed a life of virtue in the sense that you've, you've sought to obey and be committed and devoted to the commands of God as he has revealed it in the Bible. And, and, and if they have built this scaffolding in their life, then God would look on that scaffolding that they have built and constructed and say, that's the right scaffolding, okay? And I'm pleased. This is the way they would have thought about honoring God and being right with God and pleasing God. This is the way they would have thought about it. And here Jesus is talking to a person that has that kind of structure in their mind about relating to God, and he's saying, nope, all the scaffolding, everything you've built, None of it matters. Well, he's saying this to a person that everything matters in that scaffolding. The whole scaffolding matters eternally for them. And he's saying, your scaffolding has nothing to do with it. That, that's why he's using this born-again language. And Jesus is saying, unless a person has had an experience, a supernatural experience of rebirth and something that happens inside them by the Spirit, they do not enter the kingdom of God. They can't even start in a right relationship with God. And so do you feel what Nicodemus might be feeling? A little bit of the control of God is being stripped out of his hand because now it's about birth. And how many of you were part of the pre-meeting for your birth? And you built the scaffolding of your whole life before you were born. Anybody? No. Your fleshly born self, you had nothing to do with. You just arrived on the scene. And so you have no control over it. You had no power over it. Hey, just there you are. And Jesus is using that kind of language saying it's the same thing spiritually. You don't have control of this thing. God does. And that's scary. Isn't that right? Am I right? Because I don't have the ability. And that's exactly what Jesus is after in our hearts, is to show us you can't do this. Only God can do this. And so he's talking to this religious leader and he's telling him you're not in control of it. And that is scary for a person that's been in control of their relationship with God from their birth. Christianity starts in the place of an encounter with a person you cannot control, predict. That's where this starts. So to enter the kingdom requires an experience. And Jesus gives this experience the term born again. And he says, unless one is born of water and spirit. Sometimes that's confused, let me be clear. Born of water is natural birth. The water breaks, the child is born. Born of water. He says flesh gives birth to flesh. 
Okay, so how do you know if you were born of flesh? Pinch yourself. All right, you feel that? Do you feel that? There's your proof. You were born. You were born of flesh. You were born of water. You were born. All right, thank God you were born. You had nothing to do with it. You're here because of him. He made you. But then spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So how do we know we have had that? You can't just pinch yourself, can you? How do you know that you have been born of the spirit? That's a good question. And I think it's one that we should spend our whole life making sure that we have actually answered. Being born of the Spirit involves four things. Let me, let me unpack it for you. And the first thing is convincing of sin. We talked about this last week. Um, but Jesus said that when he comes, he will convict the world. He will convince the world of guilt. You're guilty in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Unpack that a little bit. But the first work of the Spirit of God in a person who is being born again, that initial phase, is the convincing work of the Spirit to show us ourselves in reality. He will work a sense in us that we are sinners against God and we're separated from God because of our sin. He will work that sense into us, whether it's something we hear from the word being preached or someone saying something or just a sense about life in general that we are constantly aware of our inability to be good or the, way, the good that we know we ought to be. That the Holy Spirit works in us a sense of guilt in regards to these things. Okay, so have you had the ability to see and feel the weight of your sins and how egregious your sins are to God? Have you felt that? And have you felt the grief of your sins against God? Well, you can thank the Holy Spirit for that, who is aligning with your conscience and the law of God, which reveals the righteousness of God, all of those things converging. You can thank the Holy Spirit for helping you come into the reality of it. Not just know it like concept, but to feel it. To feel it. I feel the depths of my sin. I feel the reality of it, right? I don't just hear a concept of a guy that lost his whole back hatch, everything on the street. I actually was there. I lost the stuff out of the back of the hatch. It was me. Ah, all right. That, that is the difference. Conviction of the Holy Spirit as a concept and then conviction of the Holy Spirit that I'm guilty. I'm looking at things I did and I felt and I'm in God's presence and it's me and I'm the one being in the courtroom and I'm on the defense, I'm on the stand and I have nothing and I am feeling this and I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it, then, now, you know. And it doesn't have to be that dramatic, let me, let me express that. But it does have to be something that you know is true. It is real to you and you are feeling the reality of your sins. That can only come by the Holy Spirit. And so he he is the one that does, this, does that in us. What do we do when we feel that? There's two responses you can feel in conviction. A lost person who stays lost their whole life can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? The difference is, do you gag that voice? 
Do you resist that voice? Do you say, oh, that's just me. I need to stop negative thinking. I need to ignore that. I don't need to feel guilty. It drives me crazy. Or do you release into it and say, no, that's really me. I, it's really me. And I'm owning it totally. Okay, there's a difference there. And so the response to the Spirit of God when you feel these things brewing in your heart is to say, I agree. I am a sinner. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I can't save myself. I acknowledge that, that the things I've done, I see how hurtful I've been to other people. I see how sinful I've been toward God. I see all of that and I say, yes, that's me. And I agree with you. That's the proper response to the Holy Spirit when he's doing that in your, in your heart. But then secondly, creation of a new nature. Now this is when we see faith born. I'm sorry, conceiving of faith. My bad, I skipped points. Sorry about that. Convincing of sin, conceiving of faith. That he conceives believing. And the idea of conception here, when Jesus is talking about natural birth and spiritual birth, he's comparing them to, and he's saying they're similar in some ways. Can you imagine? Natural birth is such an easy process, right? The mom just shows up and just says, all right, let's do this. And she walks out, right? No, 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 no. Don't you dare disrespect the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice, right? No, this is a painful process. Takes you to the edge of death to birth this child, right? Um, and, and can we see that even to be born again might not just be all joy, it might be death and dying and, and, and dramatic and, and pulling you in lots of directions and emotions flying everywhere. It could be a very arduous process to be born again. That you're having to die to things that you were alive to once and, you're, and it's, a, it's a, an experience. And he says conceiving of faith. That the Spirit of God is birthing trust in Jesus in us. That he is giving us the ability to see the one who died for us. And took our place so that we could be forgiven and cleansed of this terrible sin that we're a part of. And that we can believe him. All of that comes from the Holy Spirit. That I can say, Jesus died for me. It's not Jesus died for people, like concept. It's Jesus died for me and my sin. And I feel his presence, the reality of his presence. And I am following him and I'm trusting him. And this sense is given to me and this comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit births power to believe in Jesus in our hearts and at this point Jesus becomes reality and he becomes the solution and we trust him we believe him and we trust him I recently heard uh, an atheist intellectual atheist say on a podcast I'm actually really surprised to find that I believe in Jesus because it's so anti what I've always been. And, and yet something has happened to me that has caused me to believe. And I can't believe that I believe is what, he, is what he was saying. And I mean, that's a great expression of what being born again is about. It just, it just happened. It, he heard and he processed and all of a sudden birth in him, conceived in him, was this idea of, I, I trust him. I see him in his reality, and I trust him. And I grieve so much to what I've resisted, but I, I trust him. And, and he was so surprised by that. That only comes from the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, now, we can say this, creation of a new nature. Sorry, the points were really close on the page. So uh, I jumped to ahead. So creation of a new nature. 
if someone is being born again, there is a sense in which they're the same person, right? Um, but they are also not the same person at all. The core of their nature in their deepest parts has been radically shifted, almost reborn new. On the inside, they experience a nature change. They, they still have a lot of change that needs to take place in their life for that grace to make its full way all the way through into everything in their life and all their person. But on the inside, in an instant, they have experienced a nature change at the core of who they are. I, I've even heard parents talk about their kids, seven years old, who came and trusted Jesus Christ, and they could see their kid literally as different. They, they saw them act different. The desires changed. They saw things change in their own child. Uh, and and this, this experience is an evidence of that. Um, but they almost feel as though someone else possessed me in my core. And they did. It's called the Holy Spirit. Early in life, Augustine, I've told you all this before, um, but he had those sexual encounters with women in fairs and all that as a lost person. And he would go off on weekends with women. And he became a Christian, was converted. And a while later came through the marketplace and one of those girls saw him and then like very happily ran up to him to say, let's go on a weekend. And he was, she was imploring him to go. And he decided in that moment, he was just going to kindly kind of give her the stiff arm a little bit and, and sign a, kind of ghost her today. He ghosted her a little bit. And she said, well, may, he doesn't recognize me. And so she says, Augustine, it is I as he's walking away. And he turns around, he says, yes, but it is not I. In that sense, it happens like that. It's not, I am developed myself to a different type of person. I have different, I am actually disciplined now. I have built myself some character. No, no, no. We're talking about this person has had something happen in them that has changed them. And, and that's what we're talking about here. It's an incredible way of explaining the new creation. It happens like this. You're just different. And it begins to manifest itself in your life. Then lastly, confirmation of sonship. Obviously, I use the word sonship, but I mean, you're a child of God. The Spirit brings confirmation that you are my child. And how does he do that? Well, in our Ephesians passage, Paul uses two words regarding the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit first is our seal. And in the first century, the way they would communicate is uh, if they wanted to communicate someone in another city or something like that, they would write a letter on parchment, very much in the New Testament, all written the same way, and they would write it on parchment, and they would roll it up with the text on the inside so the people on the outside couldn't read the outside, right? Uh, so they would roll the text up on the inside, and then where the paper caught the roll, they would put hot wax there. They would drip hot wax there, and they would seal it with, with a ring or a stamp or something that shows who the sender is with the authority of the sender, all right? And then the messenger would, be take, it, would take that scroll, and they would be hired to take it to the person intended to receive it, and they would do all the journeying to the person, uh, like the mailman, and get it to the person, and then that person only was the, had the ability to break that wax seal. And they would know if the seal's intact that no one else has broken it and no one else has read it because it's intended to me. And so they would break the seal and then read the contents of the letter. Paul says that seal is the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what does that mean, <laughs> right? Here's what it means. 
The Spirit of God. God is telling you, when you know you have the Spirit that lives in your heart, God is telling you, I have branded you. You are mine. And it's also a promise that says you will get to your final destination. I have seen to it. You will get there. So the seal, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God's branding on us. You're my child. You're mine. You're under my authority. But then he says it's, the Spirit is a guarantee. A guarantee. That just means deposit. So you go buy a car and you put a certain amount of money down called a deposit, right? And what are you saying with that deposit? You're telling the people who paid all the money, you're saying, I'm good for all the money. This deposit is me saying, I'm going to pay all of it, right? And Paul is saying, God says to you, when you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, when you're born again, the Spirit is also telling you that uh, this is a deposit on your inheritance. Here's a little dose of life, eternal life, that is yours. And you're going to enjoy it for your life. But you have infinite more waiting. This is a dose of what's to come. This is a, prom- this is a promise and a portion of the, the riches that I do have for you, um, if you can think of it that way. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit means you're God's child. God will see you to the end. You're, you will receive all of your inheritance, and that's a little gift of the Holy Spirit in your heart to confirm all of that in you. So receive that. And I, I'll tell you, that confirmation... That you're a child of God should give you great joy in life and help you persevere through great struggle. Why? Because it's just temporary. The good stuff's coming. God's promised me. How? He gave you his spirit. So you got to hear his voice. That his promise is for you, and that's a guarantee. What is left? All of this is something that gets deposited into the heart of a Christian when they're born again. And this is the moment when they become a Christian. This is the moment when they enter into the kingdom. This is the moment they become a child of God. This is a point when they get new life to live their life by. Uh, All of this happens in in that very moment. What do you do then? It's going to be... We're going to talk about it next week. But what you do then is you have entered into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And your job for the rest of your life is to stay tracking with him. What he started, he will finish. You just stay with him. Stay with him. And let him lead you the rest of your life. And we're going to talk about that next week in that term, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? We're going to talk about that um, next week first question i have for you one is have you experienced being born again and let me say this i don't want to over dramatize the moment the language is dramatic but a seven-year-old can be born again a child can be born again and actually it's like a very simple process but there's things you can't produce in their heart to get them to that place that they actually experience. So it can look one way. It can look 
a totally different way for a 35-year-old who's lived in sin their whole life and is in prison because of it. It's a totally different thing, but it's the same thing in the heart. Does that make sense? So the question is, looking at those four principles, is this something God has done in your heart? I would trust that most of us in this room at one point in our life, whether it, whatever it looks like, we know it could be multicolored, multiple shaped in different ways and all that, and different lengths of time and all of that. But have you been reborn on the inside? Have you been born again? And I don't say that to you to say, well, then get it right. No, I say, if you have, then all these promises are yours. If you haven't, is the Holy Spirit working on your heart? Has he been working on you? You go through these four principles. And if he has been working on you, and even maybe today, the Spirit of God is beckoning you now to trust him and come and release into him and stop resisting and to come into him today and come into the kingdom today. Some of you may have that happening right now in your heart. And I know it's a very fearful time. Lots of things back and forth. Lots of um, awkward things happening in you. And if he's beckoning you this morning to trust him, I want to give you an open invitation to trust him today. So what I want to do, and this is all in my study, I felt like the Lord said do this, okay? I want to ask all the life group leaders, if you are leading a life group in the room, would you just stand for me real fast? If you're leading a life group in the room, just stand for me real fast, okay? All right. Everybody in the balcony. Okay. All right. So if, if you are here today and you're feeling, I, I feel like the Lord is beckoning me to trust him today, and I need help knowing how to do that, go see one of these people. As soon as the service is over, just go up to them. They would love to have you shake their hand and just say, hey, I'm, I'm the one. I need help with that. Can you help me? Okay, so if you see somebody, if you're, if you're having that happen, go to one of these people and just say that this morning. They would love to help you with that. Okay, thanks, life group leaders. You guys can be seated. But here's one thing I want to ask all of us to do this week in our life groups. I would like for every person in the life group to share your experience of when you were born again. And I want you to see the beautiful way that the Spirit of God works differently in all kinds of different lives and the way the timeline on some of them are years, some of them were minutes, right? Uh, some, some of them were spent more time in one section than another. Um, and how you experienced being born again. I want you in your life groups to share your story. And you can, do, you can share your story very quickly. I was in college. I grew up in a Christian home. I assumed Christianity was a lineage thing that eventually you get married and then you take your kids to church and you attend church and that's what you do. And that's Christianity to me. I've grown up in church. I kind of think of it that way. And yet in college, I was incredibly dark in my behavior, in my thoughts, and I didn't know it. I was very hurtful to people, very little remorse. I was just dark. And I, one day, I realized it. I just started feeling very guilty for my behavior, the things I was doing on the baseball team with baseball players. I, I felt very guilty of the thoughts I was having about the kind of way I viewed life. All of a sudden, I just felt very guilty. And so you know what I started doing? I started going to Bible studies. I, I cleaned up. I wouldn't allow certain things in my dorm. And all these, all these other players are kind of like, what's his deal, you know? Uh, all of a sudden, I just started 
cleaning up my life. And I started behaving like grandma would want me to because I need to grow up, okay? Eight months later, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing the things a man should do. I'm going to have a family, and I'm going to have my family in church. These are my commitments. And God lands on me in a Sunday morning service and said, you are lost, and you are on a path to hell. And I was very confused because I was doing the right things. And he said, you're trusting in your scaffolding. You're trusting. You felt bad, but I didn't get you to feel bad so that you can clean yourself up and be all proud of how good your scaffolding looks. You can only go to one person to be saved. You do that, you go to hell, Key. And I had an ultimatum land on me in a day. And I bowed my knee and I trusted Jesus Christ. I surrendered everything. I threw all my scaffolding in the garbage. And I said, I'm nothing. I bring nothing to this. I just trust you. And I'm going to tell you, on that day, I experienced a different key come out. And I can't explain that other than just saying, ask my wife. Look at my parents. You know, ask my parents, ask the baseball players that were around me, everybody, look into my Facebook, and you know who is coming out now is definitely not at all who came out then. And that happened in me in that moment. All of a sudden, I cared about people being lost. Like, I wanted to pray. I wanted to read God's, Bible, God's word in a different way. I wanted to go to church not because it's the right thing to do. I wanted to go to church because I didn't want to be apart from the people of God. I just loved, and I loved in ways that I had never loved before. All of this happened to me then. And it made me a different person. And I had almost nothing to do with it. I just had God land on me. And it happened for me hearing the word, being sensitive, feeling certain things, and just yielding to him. And being willing to yield to him. Now, I just shared that in what? Two and a half, three minutes? And you're like, no, it was 15, it's time to go to lunch. I got it, I got it. I just share that and I did it totally from the hip. I didn't prepare that. I'm just telling you my story. I want you to do the same thing. And if you can't do it in your life groups, then do it with somebody. Tell somebody this week, just tell. Just say it. And make me the bad guy. I'm the one telling you you have to do it. And you say, my pastor making us do this. So can you just take three minutes and listen to this? Because i got to tell somebody, and you're the closest person to me. You know, just make me the bad guy. That's fine. Um, but share that this week. And here's why. Because I believe when you share your story, the Spirit of God is going to bless. He is going to bless the sharing of your story with other people. It will be a blessing. Everyone share. Some of you might be nervous about that. Do it anyway. Just do it. And whatever comes out, just tell your story. You know how to do it. I'm encouraging you to do that. And I believe God has a great blessing in that for us, okay? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and thank you for what you've done in us. Lord, there's nothing that you saw in us that said, you know what? They're savable. We are only beneficiaries of your divine will from all eternity choosing to be good to us. And we heard the gospel and we felt your conviction and we saw Jesus and we trusted him 
and we yielded our life to him. And we felt ourselves become different. And we feel the testimony that we are sons of God, daughters of God. And some sense in there that you have us here for a reason and you want to use us. And all of that came to us by the Spirit in a moment. Thank you. We give you praise and we give you thanks. Speak to hearts in the room as we sing this song. Do business with us. And Lord, if there's a person here that you have been working on in their heart and today's the day when they need to come to you, I pray you give them courage. Courage just to find someone, even if it's me. Just find someone today. Or maybe even come to this altar and just lay it out. Right here in front of everybody. Give them that courage. Like if they, they would do that today. What a great day of rejoicing it would be for this body to see something like that happen. And so we just yield it all to you. We give you praise for it. And we ask you to do a great work in us. Don't allow you and the word to stay concepts in our life, Lord. Break through. Show us the reality of yourself and us. And save us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.